You're listening to Gospel Centered Rest, a podcast by Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario, dealing with topics of theology and life and how Christ's promise of rest gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. If you want to learn more about Gospel Centered Rest or our church, Grace Bible Church, go on gracegalt.com. Gracegalt.com. I guess you don't have to say www. Oh, but it's so much fun to say www. I remember somebody asking me like not too long ago, what does the three W's stand for? And um, yeah, (laughs) it was just one of those questions. Yep. Yep. (laughs) What does it stand for? Worldwide. Worldwide web. web, Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Speaking of the web, speaking of it being worldwide, um, it's just you and I today, Byron. Seems empty in here. It's, it's it seems very quiet. Yeah, it's really quiet when it's just the two of us. <laughs> if you could see Byron right now, he's got a big smile on his face. So uh, we're actually today we're going to be talking about the conscience, and the reason being is because um, I mean it's a really important, good topic to talk about. The Bible actually talks quite a bit about our consciences. Um, Lots of principles that relate to it. But, Byron, it feels like weeks ago now, because it was weeks ago, you um, you preached a sermon on New Year's Day on the conscience. Yes. And, uh, and, and I know um, from talking to some, some others or after your sermon, um, it was the first time that a lot of people had, had heard a, uh, a sermon preached on the conscience. And I know it's not your first time kind of diving into that theme and into... Uh, that particular topic in scripture. Um, would you just share with us a little bit about why, why you think that's an important thing for us to talk about as Christians and why it was that you were like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do a sermon on the conscience. Fair enough. Uh, it has been probably about six years since I preached on it last and ironically, somebody named Tyler uh, <laughs> keeps reminding me of that sermon. Um, yeah, I, it, I heard it online before I met you. So I'm like, oh, this guy seems like a pretty great guy. <laughs> um, it seems like just one of those things that is so very, very practical. It's every part of life. Everybody's dealing with it, but we don't talk about it. And so there seems to be some very mm-hmm. unusual understandings that I don't think are grounded in what the Bible has to say, but at the same time, they can be very common understandings, like thinking of it as, well, this is God speaking to me, and I Mm. need to listen to my conscience because um, it's God's word to me. Um, And there's grains of truth in there, because I think our consciences can certainly speak truth to us Mm -hmm. if they've been informed by God's word. So in that sense, they would be sharing what God says, but seeing it as a direct communication from God to me based on my conscience, it seems to me a very dangerous leap to make. So I thought, well, why not? Let's talk about that, try to make it as practical and realistic as we can. Mm-hmm. And what are some passages of scripture that, that you've discovered or that you've studied when it comes to kind of developing, I guess, your theology of the conscience? 
for me, the two biggest ones are both from Paul in his letter to Romans, uh, mm-hmm. chapter 14, and moving a little bit into chapter 15, and there's stuff in 13 as well, but 14 in particular, he's talking about weaker and stronger brothers. Mm. And that almost seems to be more terminology that some people are used to. Um, Making a brother stumble. What does it mean to be a weak brother? How do you decide what these disputable matters are? And Paul dives right into all of that, trying to help the believers sort out, how do we deal with this when we think so very differently? Mm -hmm. We're both trying to base what we do on scripture, but we do not agree on the bottom line. So he's helping them sort it through, and he does the exact same thing over in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, I think it's Mm. 8 and 9 and a bit into 10 as well, same sort of issues. You know, people were coming from such different backgrounds. Some were from a Jewish background where they've been raised with that. Some were from a totally pagan background. There were those who, well, everything you could shake a stick at. They're Mm -hmm. part of this congregation. And so when it comes questions, what do you do with food that's been sacrificed to an idol? What do you do with just going into a temple? What about, uh, how do you treat the Sabbath, and mm. like the Lord was raised on Sunday, so we're more so connecting Sunday with the resurrection, and is that the same as the Sabbath? Is it different than Sabbath? Do you set apart the Sabbath? Um, so you have all of these sorts of things of food considerations, of observance of special days, whether it's a Sabbath day or a feast day, whether you eat and drink uh, alcohol or not, you know, you had the vow of the Nazarenes. and So you've got all mm. these religious practices, and together the question becomes, all right, when our consciences say something to us, how do we understand what it's saying? Mm-hmm. So why do you think that that's such, a, such an important thing for us to be talking about um, in today's culture, in today's atmosphere, in today's um, even church culture? I think realistically, we're not all coming from the same cultures mm. either. Mm-hmm. Some come from a very religious background where they've been taught, this is what you do, and you don't do that, and this is acceptable, but that isn't. And depending on which grouping you've come from, the lists are different. And how do you process that? Maybe somebody's recovering from a church where, you know, there was a huge list of do's and don'ts, and now they're able to make some decisions. But what do you do with feelings of guilt or questions in your mind if people are coming from different religious backgrounds different countries different cultures you've got that all in the church and obviously conscience is not a christian thing per se though some will argue yeah it's just the remnants of uh, what your parents taught you or what your sunday school teacher your teachers Mm -hmm. taught you etc you know but everybody has a conscience so that whole question too of where does that come from Mm -hmm. and then how do we proceed 
that's why I think it just becomes really, really practical and worthwhile to think through. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who is, um, who is feeling very, uh, like they might describe it as guilty or feeling very um, shameful of um, maybe something they've been struggling with, a sin. Um, they feel like their conscience is really weighing heavy on them. Okay. Um, uh, what would your, now I know that's a very, that's a very vague, <laughs> that's a very vague scenario. What would your, what would your counsel be uh, to that person? I guess I would start by trying to encourage them to be thankful that you have a conscience. Mm. Um, there's an old, old book by a guy named Paul Brand who wrote it with Philip Yancey mm. years ago, and it was called Pain, the Gift That Nobody Wants. Mm. And he was reflecting on Dr. Brand's background with leprosy communities, of all things. But the bottom line was pain is a gift. It's telling us something's wrong. It's like a warning sign going off. Hmm. And in some ways, the conscience fulfills a similar sort of function. It's waving a flag. It's saying something's not right. The danger is the conscience itself is not infallible. So I'd almost present it in a, in a flow chart sort of way that, mm-hmm. okay, let's take a look at what the conscience is saying. How do you determine whether what it's saying is true or not? Mm-hmm. Paul has this beautiful balance of recognizing that, okay, don't ignore your conscience. So start with where you are and whatever it's saying. Don't just shut it down and dive into mm-hmm. what's bothering you. Yeah. But he says, let's think about this. Let's talk about this. So he pinpoints a group of issues that he terms disputable matters. Mm-hmm. You could think of them as the gray zone where, okay, it's fairly clear and all Christians agree that um, it's not God's will for us to dive into adultery. Right. It's not God's will for us to commit murder or steal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those things are agreed upon as inappropriate, like they're harmful to us, they're damaging, they are clearly sinful for all people. But he says there's a group of issues that aren't so clear. Mm. So that's where he gets into the things that we touched on earlier there in terms of observance of the Sabbath, eating meat sacrificed to idols, etc. Mm-hmm. And he says, in those issues, go back to what does Scripture say? So whatever the particular issue is, he says, it's not evaluated by how you feel. The rightness or wrongness is according to what does God's Word say? So, for instance, when it comes to eating and drinking different things, whether it's alcohol or meat or blood, etc., in the Jewish religion and the Old Testament guidelines, blood and you name it, there was mm. all sorts, pig, pork, um, 
lot of your seafood, et cetera, it was all off the menu. It was inappropriate. Um, so he quotes Jesus. Hmm. And he says, Jesus said, everything was clean. You know, and he says, and I'm convinced of that. So he lays down, here's your basic premise. Everything's clean. Mm. He says, but that's not the end of the issue. Because if your conscience says that something is inappropriate for you, then for you it is. So he brings in what uh, some would say, oh, that's situational ethics. That's... uh, you know, just not being clear about what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Paul would say, no, that's not true. It's a matter of being clear that all things have been made clean. And you think of Peter's vision of the sheep being let down and God telling him, no, don't say it's unclean and you haven't eaten it. If I've cleansed it, you can eat it. So Paul has this understanding as well. And he will say, based on, yes, it's clean in and of itself, but if you feel bad about it, don't ignore your conscience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that beautiful balance. And then he goes on to explain further, well, sometimes you need to educate your conscience too. Hmm. Yeah, that's actually a good point. What would, what would educating your conscience look like? if, Like, like let's say you're, um, you have this matter where somebody's doing something and um and your conscience is saying they shouldn't be doing that like in that in that situation here are these believers eating this meat offered to idols and so um paul is giving them instruction as to how they're to how how they're to respond to somebody else's conscience um what would what would be kind of a step a step-by-step maybe a few steps of like how to like educate your conscience as as you would put it to try to line it up with what God's word says I think probably one of the first things is just admitting that it might be all right for someone to eat or drink something that you can't Mm -hmm. and vice versa yeah that maybe for them it's wrong to do something that is not wrong for you to do and that's the exact application that Paul makes in these passages. He's talking about believers in both situations. Mm-hmm. And he says, the one who eats or drinks does so to the Lord. And the one who does not eat or drink does so to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Both of them honor the Lord. God is pleased by both. Um, he says, and there's no place for the one to judge the other and mm-hmm. say, you know, you're wrong because you're not doing what I'm doing. And I know what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. So that seems to me to be a huge first step. Mm-hmm. I may not enter into something because I'm not comfortable with it, but can I begin by saying it's all right for someone else to participate? Mm-hmm. And that can be hard, right? I think so. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, like, like, that can be really hard to... Uh to come to that because that i mean it takes a it takes a it takes a certain amount of humility and help um by god's grace to to come to that point to be able to say you know well maybe perhaps this isn't a a black and white thing this is as you would put like a gray area um not to get like not to get too 
too far down this path, but what are some, um, what are some gray areas that you might, that we might see in today's, today's culture, even like within today's church that, that might be a matter of difficulty for some when it comes to the conscience? I think the first one that leaps to mind and probably one of the largest for many Christians would be, can I drink alcohol or mm-hmm. not? Mm-hmm. Uh, you would have others that I think would have some real concerns about certain types of food. Yeah. You know, you, you think of the, the blood pudding type of issue that for some people that would just be, no, mm. I, I, how could I do that? The Bible says you're not supposed to drink blood. Oh, and they'll okay. quote something like that. Yeah. And you think, well, how would Paul handle it? Mm-hmm. How would Peter handle it? How would Jesus handle it? Because we have examples in Scripture of that. Other things might be more cultural mm-hmm. or more societal, like, you know, the old saying was, uh, I don't drink or smoke or chew or go with right. girls who do. Um, <laughs> oh, you yeah. know, and you think, uh, okay, are these things clearly biblically sinful? Mm-hmm. Or are there cultural baggage attached to certain things same Mm -hmm. with dancing same with um playing cards Mm -hmm. Uh, things like that there was a reason for the concern and so i think that after we've recognized some people may be able to do things that i can't the next step is why do i do or not do certain things Mm -hmm. what's my biblical understanding actually pushing myself to try to write that down or, or express that to a friend. Mm-hmm. What's my understanding? And what's the other person's understanding? That gives us a comparison that pushes us to say, all right, is this a matter that is clear? And Christians all agree upon it. Or is this one of those disputable matters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And and even one of the passages that you had mentioned earlier on as in our conversation was was Romans um Romans 14. I just love what what Paul says here in Romans 14 verse 19. So then let us pursue what promotes peace. It's like what a what a good what a good goal in all of this, right? Yeah. Um like I may not feel comfortable with what somebody else is doing. And, but my response to that, um, I can pursue what promotes peace with that person rather than um, heaping judgment or, yeah. you know, yeah. condemnation um, on them. Because um, there's, there's, there's been all kinds of matters of conscience that I think um, that we can find difficult to navigate, um, even within the church. It could be what somebody's wearing. The church on Sunday, uh, we could feel we could have very strong, a very strong conscience about wearing a certain kind of you know clothing or whatever it might uh-huh. be, and somebody else may not feel the same way. And so, how how can I promote peace? Yeah, right in that in that moment. So I just what I love about these questions that you ask is it um, it promotes just that clear um, Christ centered like biblical thinking. Um, not a uh, not a what I can get out of this or like a self-centered self-focused thinking but something that's considering the other person yeah and yeah. 
and uh, considering the peace within within the relationship. The whole aspect of grace. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to treat somebody else with grace? Well, that's allowing them to make their own decisions. In one sense, it's very similar to respecting somebody. Allowing them to make a decision that's different than you, mm-hmm. recognizing that they answer to God, not to you. Mm-hmm. And if, as Paul says, we each answer to God, well, there's no grounds for us to be judging each other. We'll say, well, we may come to a point where, yes, we have a different perspective, and that's all right. Mm -hmm. You think of something, another issue comes to mind in terms of giving, for instance, and some people will have been taught that you should give X percentage, you know, intends the often quoted one, and you use the terms mm-hmm. of tithing and that sort of thing. And someone may feel very, very guilty unless they know that they are giving 10% of, right. and depending on how they were taught, it's their gross or their net and all the other sorts of things. Different people and different groups teach it differently. So then when I go into the scripture and I see Paul, what does he teach? Well, when he's teaching about giving, in 2 Corinthians, for instance, he knows all the background of tithing. He grew up with the Jewish percentages Mm. of all sorts of different things, and yet he doesn't use that word, and he doesn't talk about it. He says, give generously. He says, Mm. have a plan for what you're giving. You know, give what you plan to give, and don't give grudgingly, because he says that's not worth anything. And you think... What a different feel that is. I might feel guilty, and yet when we talk about educating our conscience, I've seen that feeling, let's say, and I've been giving 10%, but I'm resenting it, maybe, or I'm feeling guilty if I don't. Maybe expenses are so high, and and it's just something I'm really struggling to even be able to do that. Well, I come to Paul, and Paul says... Give what you can give willingly. He uses the word hilariously, Mm -hmm. technically. You know that this is just fun. Um, And if I give that way, I start to see I don't need to feel guilty. Mm -hmm. I can make a choice based on my understanding of Scripture to give X percent. And maybe it's five. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. 33. And God will do different things in different people's lives. But if I educate my conscience, I come to the point where saying, I don't need to be ruled by this feeling of guilt that I have learned is not based in the teachings of the gospel, really. It's based on a pattern that was set up to teach a certain set of lessons in the Old Testament. So I come to the point then of saying, okay, I don't have to obey every whim, as it were, mm-hmm. of my conscience. I'm educating it, and I come to the point of saying, no, I can do this and honor God and be thankful. So that's the full process that somebody mm-hmm. comes to. It's not easy, though. No. And, and I think, you know, conscience is going to say different things over time, and maybe you're weak, maybe you're tired that week, and mm-hmm. it's been a bad week, and you're just saying, oh, mm-hmm. you know, it may bother you and say things that it hasn't said for three years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're ignoring it, but we're taking it in context and yeah. saying God's word rules rather than yeah. my feelings. And I love that. Um, uh, something else to you. 
you focused on when like in your sermon that I think was just was just amazing but um you talked about having a clean conscience before Christ and him being the one who cleans our conscience yeah um do you mind just taking a moment and just maybe closing with a thought on that when you go through and the different times the word conscience is used it comes up all the way through scripture now, there's lots of old testament passages in particular the one that to me summarizes that concept is in hebrews where he's talking about and contrasting now david's going to get there in a few more weeks right. um it's about hebrews 10 i believe and he's talking about how in the old testament in obeying the old covenant with its mandated commands etc you would go and make the sacrifice. He says, but the problem was it didn't cleanse your conscience. Mm. He said, you would do all you could. You followed the law. You did everything that it said, but you would go away, and essentially you'd still be feeling guilty. Mm. Where he says, Christ and the sacrifice that he has done accomplishes what all of that never could because he's better. He says, so this new sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus giving himself as our substitute, he's the priest, he's the sacrifice, he's the new system in one sense. Mm -hmm. He says, that brings a clean conscience and I don't need to feel guilty before God doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean I've never failed in any way, but it means my sins have been forgiven and God is not hanging anything over my head and I can just be free. That feeling of being clean. Mm. Uh, and he says, that's what's through Jesus. You know, that's where it comes. Yeah. Amen. What, uh, what such good thoughts and, um, important topic for sure like as you know like i i just consider again as we were talking about earlier just all the things that have the potential to um to cause division and arguments yeah um as believers and how paul in these words that you've described he's just he speak like the bible speaks to those situations amen but then yep. also how jesus is the conscience cleanser so Thank you so much, Byron. Oh, glad to.